Hey, let's dig into our text, and I'll explain to you what our, our series is. Uh, it's a longer passage of Scripture, um, so I don't apologize for that, because oftentimes when we dig into Scriptures, it actually can be harder to know what the Scripture is saying if, we just, if we're just looking as a church at just one verse. We can. It's good. We can memorize those one verses, but we want to know the context. And so this is John chapter 6. Jesus is talking. He's given, um, uh, uh, he's, he's, he's not preaching a sermon, but he's, this, is the, this is the red letters, red words of your Bible. It says this, beginning in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Everybody say bread. Good. You guys are with me. I love it. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 41, at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And so they said this, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Like we know where he comes from. Like we know who, where, who his family is. You ever had anybody kind of look at you like that or say that to you? You're like, I know, I know, I know where you come from. You're not that special. All right, settle down. This is basically what they're telling Jesus. Son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came from heaven? And so later in the passage, Jesus states this, verse 47, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Remember, we did a pretty long series a few months ago where we talked about the children of Israel they were provided for in the wilderness. And God provided manna from heaven. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, this bread, this stuff, yet they died. Here is the bread that comes from heaven, which anyone may eat, and they won't die. So in case you were wondering, Jesus says this, I am the living bread that came from heaven. Again, whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, so similar to their, similar to their church. Skipping to verse uh, 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said this, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. And so from this time, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer followed him. Then Jesus says this, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter, y'all's favorite, he's always talking, isn't he? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where are we going to go? Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe those words and to also know that you're the Holy One of God. And so the series this morning is called From Tent to Table. From Tent to Table, moving from God's presence into God's purpose. From his presence into God's purpose. I've now lived in Huntsville for two, about two and a half years. My wife and I, our three little babies, 
They're still my babies. If they heard, they, if they heard me say that, they'd be so angry with me right now. We've, we've been here about two and a half years. It, it feels like 25 years now. Two and a half, it, is, it is flown by. A friend of mine called me last week, this past week, and um, he just asked, he's, he's from, uh, uh, from Birmingham, where we moved up from. He's just asking how life was, how it's been. And it was, it's kind of been hard to tell him. He's like, how's the past few, you know, how's the past few years been? And I was like, it it was, it's hard to articulate the past few years. It's hard to articulate the past few months. In three years time, essentially, uh, we've lived in a different city. We've had different jobs. Uh, We've got a different house. I have a different dog. Um. We, had, we got rid of the worst dog in the world, and then we got the second worst dog in the world. <laughs> Add on top of that, we got this thing called Corona, and it feels like three years is a different life. Doesn't it? Does it feel like that to you? Think, think, back, think back three years. I went into Hobby Lobby this week. Yesterday, I went into Hobby Lobby. I, got, I saw a guy wearing a, a face shield, like one of them helmet shield things. Didn't even phase me. I didn't even think about it. Oh, yeah, he's got a face shield. Like, that's totally normal. Yeah, three years ago, you walk into Hobby Lobby, somebody's wearing a face shield. You're like, what is happening right now? You're thinking he must be welding something in the back. You don't know what's going on. It's not a thing now. You don't even think about it. People got their mask on. They got shields on. I almost had, this was the best. I almost had, you guys remember seeing a lot of the memes early on during COVID about everybody with like what they're wearing, like on their, on their face and stuff, trying to block people out. Somebody's wearing like a, a spacesuit helmet. One guy, my favorite, he has pool noodles. All right. Like six foot pool noodles. And he's got them duct taped to his head and they're going out like this all over. So nobody can get in his space. And he's just like this. And these pool noodles are just like, you're like, what? I didn't have that picture. I wouldn't even have to explain it. I could have just shown you, and you'd have been like, mm, I remember. Those were the days. Where were, where were you three years ago? Where were you, what were you doing? Whatever certainties I had about my life, they are gone now. But think about church. Church, three years ago. Now with the church, we're, we're, um, we're about a year and a half, almost two years old now, and uh, just such a different place. Such a different place. If there's one truth I've learned over the past three years, it's this. Pastoring, Lindsay and I pastoring this, this church, if there's one thing I've learned, it's this. is that God has been with us, is with us, and will always be with us. There are a million things I could, I could rattle off about what have the past two years been like. If I had to boil it down to that, I would, I'd say God's been with us. But that makes sense because it is the entire theme of Scripture. I read a passage in Psalm 139 earlier this morning. Well, we were in worship. What did I say? God's with us. It doesn't matter where you go. God's with us. If you could only pick one overarching theme in all of Scripture, if you could only have one, it, you, you could say this. You could basically boil it down to the revelation that God is with us. This is what you could do. The second one is that recognizing this presence that God's with us always moves us into an opportunity for purpose. God's presence changes the moment, changes the atmosphere, changes your space, and moves us into His purpose. In fact, that's the core idea of this series, that God's with us, God has a purpose in His presence. 
God's with us and there's a purpose there. First, I want to give a, a, a real quick, um, simple teaching by what I, what I mean by that phrase, uh, from tent to table. And so I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to go real, really quickly, even though this kind of covers the whole scope of Scripture, but I want to make sure, because we're going to be in this series for a, a, a little while, I want to make sure that we have that baseline understanding of God being with us. And, and it's not just that we made it up. We don't just say, you go, to, you go up to a friend of yours and, and you say, I know you're having a, a bad day, but hey, God's with you. Like, that, that, that would not be encouraging unless it was true, unless it was most true, like the most true. And it is. And so I'm, we're, we're going to go through this real quick. First one is this, the, the tent, from tent to table. The tent and all throughout Scripture really just represents God's presence. Um, in fact, in the, Old in the Old Testament, when uh, the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God gave them instructions on how to build this church or this tabernacle or this tent. In fact, I, I got a photo of it. It's not an actual photo, seeing as how we're talking about thousands of years here. This is a, this is a graphic drawn up. Uh, this, is the, this is essentially the, the directions that God gave the children of Abraham, the Jews, to create this space while they were out in the wilderness. And he said, I want you to build this. And there's, there's an entire book with all the rules and the ways of how to do it. It's super intense. It's very specific. There are a lot of words there. And just believe me, you can go and read it. It's very helpful. It's good. But you need a cup of coffee, all right? You need a cup of coffee for Leviticus. So, and numbers. All right. But here's the, here's the tent. So you, you got a tent, um, you got a, a kind of a tent wall on the outside. And on the inside, you have a courtyard. And in the courtyard is the, uh, there's a, a brazen altar. You can see that there, which is where the sacrifices, where they made the sacrifices. Then you got the laver, which is what they would use to uh, wash their hands for the priests. And then inside the temple, there's, there's a, several other elements. You've got the table of showbread, basically showing the, uh, uh, importance of God's word. Uh, there's a there's a, a candlestick, for lack of a better word. Uh, another altar of incense, and then all the way in the inside, you got the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you guys have ever heard that phrase before? Ark, Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Covenant, where the the holiest of holy places, where the presence of God dwelled. And so the tent represented the presence of God. And what the Jews would do is the Hebrew children would go around and everywhere that they moved and everywhere that they went, they would set up and tear down this space. They would do set up and tear down. It's, it reminds us, not too long ago, just a few short months ago, JT, of set up and tear down every week of our lives for our church as we would set up our own tent just in here. <laughs> everywhere we went, we've been a few places. And so this is how, this is how the, the building, the space began. And it represented this tent was where, God's, where, people, where they understood where God's presence was. And so when we talk about the tabernacle or we talk about the tent, we are in essence referencing the presence of God and the way God was with us for hundreds of years. For hundreds of years until... God couldn't, he, he could not stand any longer the rebellion and the wickedness of the Hebrew children. In fact, there was a prophet later on named Ezekiel, and he talks about all the things that, the, that, the, that, the, um, that Israel walked through and did 
to where they ended up rejecting God so much that he left, Ezekiel chapter 10, there's a couple chapters there, where the glory of the Lord, God's presence, actually leaves the tent. He leaves, and it's devastating. It's devastating. It's like it's about 600 years before Jesus, and it's devastating. And in fact, nowhere through Scripture does it ever say that the presence of God returned to the tent or returned to the tabernacle. And so there's no way for me to overstate the devastating implications of this reality, that God's presence has left this space. All right, y'all hold, hold with me, hang with me. This is, this is important real quick. The Jews, the Hebrews, longed for the return of God's presence. This is the longing, the deep longing that so many had during Jesus' day. When he was... Uh, when he had his 12 disciples and then the other disciples that followed around in that circle and all of the people that followed, everybody that he talked to, they are these deep longings for the presence of God to return. And so this is why 600 years later, the gospel writers worked so hard to show that Jesus is the embodiment of God's presence. And so when we talk about the tent in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, we say this is God's presence. It means God's presence with us. But then what happens is God, in the form of Jesus, in one translation puts it this way, he moves into the neighborhood. And so the gospel writers work hard at this. In fact, uh, the book of Matthew, the very first gospel that we, come, that we run into, Matthew chapter 1 says this, talks about it. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's actually quoting a passage of Scripture from Isaiah that says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Yeah. The very last chapter of the book of Matthew, just in case we were wondering what that means, what his intention was, we see it. Matthew 28, Jesus, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, this is what he says, Surely I am what? With you. Always, even until the end, to the end. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In Mark, we have a voice of one calling in the wilderness, talking about John the Baptist. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. The Lord's presence, he's coming. In what form? Jesus. And he's referencing, again, another passage from Isaiah. Luke says this, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to, to what? What's that word? Prepare the way for him. God's presence in a tent. Ezekiel is departed. Jesus moving into the neighborhood. John says it probably my favorite way, and it'll be your favorite too because it just is the coolest. John says it this way. John chapter 1, In the beginning was the word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. A little further down, he says this, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen this glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John here, he uses this word, the word for dwelling. He, Jesus was the Word and made His dwelling. Is the word skanu. Can you, everybody say skanu. We're digging in deep this morning, so I, know, I need to know you're with me. Everybody say skanu, not canoe. Somebody said canoe. I heard that. It's skanu. Skanu is uh, the word there for dwelling is a, is a Greek word for tabernacle. The Greek word for tent or tabernacle. And so what, so what Jesus, what John is trying to say is that Jesus came, the word made flesh, the word was God, and he came 
made his dwelling. He moved into the neighborhood. He tabernacled. He tented with us. He was the tent or the tabernacle of God's presence. And everywhere that Jesus went, there was God. And so we got to grasp this transition because there's no greater overarching theme in all of Scripture than this, that God is with us. And he's moved from this tent, this tabernacle, all the way in to the table. The whole way. And so when Jesus walks into the tabernacle and starts talking, it's this huge occasion. Because it's been 600 years of the absence of the presence of God. He's finally returned once again and now he's offering a better deliverance and a better relationship. This is what it means when Jesus walks into the church. And so, but Jesus doesn't stay in the temple. He spends all his time with the people. He's usually at their house, and y'all have heard me say this, he's usually at their house eating. Jesus loves going to people's houses. He loves eating their food. He loves being with people. He tells Zacchaeus, basically the, just what, what the other Hebrew children would, would say is their enemy. A fellow Jew was their enemy. He looks at him and he's in a, uh, climbed up a little tree, Y'all don't start singing the song. He climbs up in this little tree, sycamore tree for the Lord he actually wanted to see. And Jesus comes by and he says, Zacchaeus, and he looks over the crowd. He looks over the crowd. Can't you picture Jesus? Everybody's crowded around him. He's doing all these miracles. Everybody's pressing in on him. He is in this moment, not always, but in this moment, he is about as cool as it gets. Everybody wants to be with Jesus. And he looks over the crowd, and there's this guy climbing in a tree trying to look at Jesus. And what does he say? Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. And everybody's like, yeah, take him out, Lord. And he goes, because I want to go to your house and eat. And they're going, what? It doesn't even compute. He does this with all kinds of people. My kind of people, your kind of people. All, everybody, this is what he does. He goes to the Pharisees' house to eat. They get a bad rap in Scripture. The truth is, if you read Scripture, Pharisees and the disciples, they are all pretty lousy. Like they're lousy Jesus followers. They, none, of them are, none of them do well for a long time. He goes, to all, he, goes, he goes to Mary's house. Every time you turn around, Jesus is at somebody's house and usually causing up some kind of stir, some kind of trouble. And so there's this image of Jesus from tent to table. So this morning I want to talk through the beginning of what this means for us, our fall vision for this season for our church. And so I have three stages of God's presence, three stages of God's presence. This is, this is my interpretation. You're not going to find this in like 1 Corinthians, okay? So this is my, this is, these, are, these, are, these are my way, this is my way of understanding it. Let's help me understand it. The first one is this. Um, it's not that any of them are better than one or the other. Actually, we need all three of these stages at the same time. The first one is this, is that the understanding that God is with us. And we we just walked through that. And that's the truth. The truth is that God is with us. And there's no more powerful theme in all of Scripture than this. God is with us. You can go to the heavens, you can go to the top of the mountain, or you can make your bed in the depths. God is with you. God is with you. There's no more powerful truth than that. But with that truth does come a choice. And so the second point is this. 
First phase, uh, the first stage is uh, God with us. The second one is God in us. And so if Jesus is now God's presence right in front of us, why did everybody leave in the passage at the very beginning? Remember, we started out. Here's the passage of Jesus. He tells everybody, I'm the, bre- I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that came from heaven. Right before that, he just fed 5,000 people from, from two loaves of bread. So I, I, I know some of you guys are chefs in here. Some of y'all could, y'all could do some good cooking. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not just trying to earn points. My wife is such a good cook. It's, it, it's so good. But even, the, even she could not work this miracle. Jesus has two loaves, of, uh, two loaves of bread and five fish. I don't think I flipped that. I think that's right. So don't look it up. Just trust me. So I, he takes two loaves and five fish, multiplies it over, and now we've got um, 5,000 people are fed. Then right after that, the disciples go on a boat. Jesus stays behind, and he just decides to, to play catch up on the other side by walking across the, the sea. He walks on the water. And so then we get to this point, the disciples are just, all they've seen is this un, these unbelievable miracles. Unreal. Can you imagine seeing 5,000 people get fed from two loaves of bread? Can you imagine seeing Jesus walk across the water? Only a few people saw him walk across the water, but Scripture says that when he got over there, everybody was still wondering, hey, how did you get over here? How did you get on the other side? You can't swim across because they know he didn't get in the boat. So they're all wondering. So they're going, this is, this is a miracle worker. And yet, he says one thing, and it's in this moment, this is a hard truth. And so many of his disciples left. Now his core 12, they were still there. Simon Peter was like, we ain't got nowhere else to go. Where else can we go? So many left. What is it that you and I could see the hand of God and turn around and bolt for the door? I think it's the difference between recognizing God with us and recognizing the choice that we then have to make. Is God going to be in us? If Jesus is now God's presence right in front of us, why did everybody leave? I think it's because they wanted God with us, but they didn't want God in us. And so you and I will never graduate past our need to realize that God is with us. However, we will grow into the choice to have God in us. And that's where the tension is. So what do we do when we find out what we want for us is different than what God wants for us? What do we do when we find out what we want for us is different than what God wants for us? Because there is that moment. That happens. It's probably going to happen more than once. What do we do when we recognize God with us? I want you to be in me. I want you to be with me everywhere that I go. I want you to take over. I want you to be Lord of my life. But, but actually, I do still have an agenda. So don't cross that agenda. What do we do in that moment? How do we manage those expectations? Have you ever had expectations you were unaware of? Have you ever had many? All, all the married people are like, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Any married people in here? All, all of marriage is uncovering and realizing unstated and unknown expectations you had and then either learning how to articulate them or, or redefine them. I remember when Lindsay and I, we, we, we've been married 16 years. We were married 16 years. We did this pre-marriage counseling deal, and um, it was like six sessions, and our counselors were good people, 
They'd been married, like, at that time, like 30 years. They'd been married forever, all right? And so they're talking to us, and, and they go, they're asking all kinds of questions. I remember one question they asked one time. They were like, okay, well, where are you going to spend holidays? And we were like, we were so young. We were, we were so young. We were married forever. We were so young. I remember looking and going, us looking at each other like, who cares? It's like it wasn't a deal. And they started to keep pushing it. They're like, no, no, like, have you talked about where you're going to spend Christmas and Thanksgiving? We're like, oh, are we not? So I loved her parents. She loved my parents, our families. Our families got along, even though they lived in different cities. We just didn't think anything about it. In fact, I remember leaving one day going, I wish they would have talked about something else rather than where we're going to spend our holidays after we get married. We just didn't even talk about it. We're like, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Then we get married. And then Thanksgiving rolls around. That we had been married for like 11 months. We got married in January. There you go. Thanksgiving rolls around. And we're going, yeah, yeah. So, we, so when we go back home, and she's going, yeah, when we go back home. But her agenda was a little bit different than mine. It sounded like she was in her city in Birmingham. And I was like, I don't. But when we go home, we're going to. And all of a sudden, we realized we had different expectations where we were going to be. And so we, so we, we kind of talked about that. And then realized those roots went deep. Oh, those roots went deep. I remember it was this huge tension. And after Thanksgiving and after Christmas, I remember going, man, these old people who taught us about marriage apparently had a clue. Like, it's, the, it's this, but we didn't know we had these, expect, we didn't know those expectations existed. We didn't know. What do you do when you have an expectation of who Jesus is and then he flips the script on you? He will do that. He will do it. You want to know why? Because you and I, we're so selfish. We are, and we don't even know it. God works on that, and he loves that, and there's patience. He loves us, and there's patience with that. But we have expectations. The disciples, the people that follow Jesus, they had expectations. Here we find John chapter 6, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. Disciples are in awe. Awe. Everybody say awe. They're in awe. And then they quit. Jesus feeds 5,000. He walks on the water. This is amazing. I'm out. What in the world happens? I think it's because their awe had an aim and it was for their own agenda. Their awe, man, I'm amazed at what God could do. What if he can, if he can do that, I bet he can do this. Their awe had an aim, and it was their own agenda. So when are we frustrated when our awe and our aim have different agendas? So everybody who follows Jesus will have the opportunity to move from knowing the truth of God with us to the choice of having God in us. That's a choice. It's a decision. It looks different for each one of us. You know, will I, will I follow when I, when I can't see the future? Will I follow when I don't understand? Will I follow if I have to change my major again? <laughs> will I follow when it hurts? Will I follow when it's inconvenient? Will I follow when it's boring? Will I follow when it's boring? Well, I follow when I can't see what's on the other side. It just is like, ugh. Well, I follow when part of me 
actually part of me, God's calling for this part to die so that this part can live. Will I do that? God doesn't work well as a sidekick. And so to help you when you, when you think about it, he's the, he's the center. And so this brings up this third stage, God with us, God in us, ultimately for God through us, our purpose. The truth, God with us, the choice, God in us, the purpose, God through us. What is God's purpose through all of this? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul's talking, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief, what? Cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is being joined together. The tabernacle, the tent, God's presence. This whole building is being joined together to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, this is the coolest part, you too are being built together to become a, there's that word again. What's that word? What's that Greek word? Skanu. It ain't canoe. Y'all said canoe. Skanu. To be what? A dwelling, a temple to tabernacle God's presence everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, you are walking God's presence. You are the tent of God's presence. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, Don't you know you yourselves are God's temple? God's Spirit dwells in your midst. It's you. It's me. That's where God lives. You are the temple of God's presence. And so maybe you're asking things like this. You're saying, what about all those frustrations over the past few years? What about, um, there's just this longing in my heart. I can't explain it. I have these longings. They're, they're unfulfilled. I could list them a mile long. All of us have a, a million different, they're, they're so, I feel like they're so real. There's something so deep on the inside of me. C.S. Lewis says this. I, I, I love this quote. He says, most people, if they really learn to look back into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot actually be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you. They never quite keep their promise. And so if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. So Lewis keeps talking. He says, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it. There's a lot of earthly pleasures here. A lot of earthly pleasures everywhere you look, everywhere you go. But they'll never satisfy. They'll never satisfy. I wonder how many of the disciples that left in that moment, I wonder how many of them, when it was all said and done, turned back around and went, I, I missed it. I had an aim. I had an agenda. And I thought he was going to do it for me. But really, I, I am restless my soul, my heart is restless. All of us, our souls are restless until they find their home in Christ. Until they find their home in Him. So I love what Simon Peter says to Jesus when asked if they want to leave too. Verse 66, from this time many disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. 
So Jesus says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know you're the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? Hey, let me pray for you this morning. If you would, close your eyes. I am... The concept of this series moving forward is that God's presence has moved and shifted and now lives in each of us. And so the question is, what does it look like as a church to build a table for those that God's calling to himself? We say it this way. How do we reveal the nearness of Jesus to those far from him? And God has a table. That's the four corners of our church, actually. Four corners of a table. God has a table. So we're going to talk about what does that look like for this church. But for you this morning, maybe you're in here and you say, Joel, look, I recognize God's with me. But the truth is, I've not made the step of God in me. In fact, there's, there's, there's something I found again in my life I need to surrender to him. I felt, like I've, I, I felt like I've got in me, but now there's something I feel like God's asking of me and there's this tension. And whether it's a, it's a relationship or a job or a decision, maybe it's a fear. Whatever that is, if that's you and you just say, Joel, I, re- I recognize, I want to honor and recognize God is asking something of me and I realize it this morning. Joel, will you pray for me that I have the courage to surrender that to him? If that's you, you just want to acknowledge that this morning. Would you just raise your hand real high and you can put it right back down. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you'd say, Joel, I, look, I know in my head God's with me, but I need to know it in my heart. I need some assurance. I've, I feel like it's been a really long time. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's always been this way. I don't know. I feel like it's been a long time since I've ever felt like, actually knew in my heart God was with me. I know you said it, I've heard other people say it from the Bible, but I need to know it for myself. God is actually with me. I've seen him with somebody else. I've seen Bible stories, and I've seen actually people scrolling as I scroll through social media. I've seen people, it looks like God's with, I want God with me. If that's you, it's just a confession. You don't have to come up here. You don't have to do anything. If you just raise your hand real high to the Lord, you put it right back down. I just need to know he's with me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or maybe you just say, Joel, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling my purpose. I need clarity in my purpose for today. Will you pray for me? If that's you, if, if that's your confession, would you lift your hand real high and you put it right back down? I just need clarity in my purpose. Yeah, yeah. God has a purpose for every single one of us. Our lives are spent uncovering what that looks like. God, I love you this morning. Our church loves you. We gather together, God, and honor you. God, we love you. We want, God, more than anything for you to do, have your, have your way to do your will here. And so, God, I pray for each one in this room and online that have raised their hand, that have surrendered, who have uh, confessed in their heart, God, that they need you. Truth is, every single one of us need you, God. And so those that need to know clarity and their purpose, God, I pray, that, I pray that you begin to peel back those layers, 
of understanding. God, those in here that need to know um, that you're with them, that you're just with them, more, even more than in their head, God, that you're with them in their soul. God, I pray you reveal that. And God, those that are making decisions today, things that they are going to surrender to you, God in us, give them the courage, the capacity, God, the courage to give that to you, surrender to you. God, there's nothing greater. There's no life greater than the one lived wholly and totally devoted to you. God, we love you this morning. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody here today. I'm so excited to see you and those of you who have joined us uh, from your home or from away online. I'm glad you were with us as well. Uh, Joel mentioned these bulletins that were on each chair. Uh, there are connect cards inside. So if it's your first time here with us at Four Corners Church or you haven't ever filled out a form letting us know that you're here, I'd love just the opportunity to write you a little note uh, and mail it to you. I promise I won't show up at your door. Um, I'm not going to do that. But I do want to say thank you uh, in a personal way for being with us here today. If you're online with us for the first time or haven't ever connected with us, you can click the connect link in the feed and we would be uh, more than happy to reach out to you as well. We're glad that you are with us uh, online. In addition, these connect cards have a couple of little places you can connect with us in different avenues, um, whether it's small groups or next steps. Now, he's already plugged next steps, but I do want to say I've, we've ordered extra food. We've got extra chairs. So if you're here and you're like, what? Just come be with us. It's not very long. It's right over there. We would love the chance. Not only, I know, I know. <laughs> I was trying to ignore my weird noise, but I made it, and we all know it. Okay, anyway, <laughs> uh, we would love to spend just a little bit of extra time with you. It's a great chance for us to get to know you, but for you also to get to know our church. And um, obviously, we love our church, but our church is full of amazing people, and um, we would love for you to be a part and join uh, this incredible family. And I, I really mean that. So if today is not an option for you, check mark on here, Next Steps, and we'll connect with you about our upcoming Next Steps class that will probably be first and second week in October. So not too far away. Um, there are other ways that you connect. So feel free to fill this out. Prayer requests can be written on the back side, and I will I plug it every week. Our prayer team is amazing, and they believe in uh, praying and seeing God work and move on your behalf. So if there's something you're like, man, I need, I need prayer. I need somebody to lift me up. It is an honor. That's actually a quote from some of our people. It is an honor to carry your burdens to the Lord on your behalf. So let us know. Uh, anything you fill out, you're welcome to just drop on uh, in one of the buckets on the high top tables out here in the foyer area. We'll get those and make sure we connect with you um, during the week. If you are a giver to Four Corners Church, I just want to say thank you. And um, there are a couple of ways that you can give online by text or by cash or check. And those can also be dropped off in the silver bucket uh, in the hot top table as well. But thank you for giving. This church 
uh, wouldn't be around if it weren't for people who believed in the vision and um, our calling to reach our city. And it is, it burns in us. And I hope it burns in you because there are people who don't have hope. I mean, they're walking around with no hope and no purpose, but Jesus gave us that hope and that purpose. And I, I'm telling you, I'm so excited to reach people that maybe we never would have reached except God placed us here. And so thank you for partnering with us. We're going to, uh, we're going to have some opportunities to, to outreach and to, to um, connect with our city uh, over the next couple of months. So uh, that's what you're giving towards. And I just want to say uh, thank you for that. Let's pray real quick and then, um, and we'll get out of here. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of your family. Thank you for adopting us and bringing us in. Thank you for setting the table for me. I didn't deserve it, but you set it anyway, and you looked past all my imperfections, and you just loved me because you loved me, and you love everyone in this room, and you love our city. You are for our city. And God, I just thank you for that. I thank you that we get to partner with you to reach our city with the hope of Jesus. And I pray today, God, a just a blessing over our families here in the church, those who are giving uh, to Four Corners. Father, you are so generous, and you bless us so that we could turn around and bless others. And so I just pray that continues. May your generosity just be overwhelming. May we be astounded at how, how generous you are. And God, may we in turn do that. May we replicate you, God, to our city. And uh, we thank you for the opportunity. Keep our eyes open to the opportunities you've laid right in front of us to offer Jesus to the people around us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you do this? Would you stand up with me? We... um. I want to pray for you. We've got um, some communion elements on the seat. I'm going to save those for this next week. Um, when we, uh, at, at, the, at the end of each service, the last thing that I really want um, you to walk out with is knowing, um, or let me say it this way. What I want you to walk out knowing uh, is the last thing that we do in here, and that is that God, God's with you and that God has a, a purpose and a plan for you in every moment. I mean, he does have a blessing. And so I want to pray a blessing for you. Anytime anybody's ever given you anything, if they're going to hand it to you in order for you to receive it, what do you got to do? You got to reach out your hand and get it. So would you do this this morning? Would you just hold out your hands like this? Father, this morning, I pray a blessing. God, may you give them, God, the courage to know everywhere they go. God, the courage to know, the confidence to know that your presence is with them. And God, may they walk in the clarity of your purpose. God, may every step they take this week, everywhere that they go, may they experience the overwhelming peace that you have for them. And may it flood through them into the lives of everybody that they meet your peace and your joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, love you guys. We'll see y'all this next week.